Is this thing on? Are you ready, Matt? You're listening to Box Office Binges with Matt Diaz and Ernesto Santos. Good evening, folks. We have a wonderful evening's entertainment lined up for you. We know each other. He's a friend from work. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Box Office Bingers. Ernesto, now I feel like we're in, we're in an interesting time right now because we have, as as our episode last week, we've wrapped up our 2023 summer blockbuster season, and it was an interesting one. But now we're in the point where it's like, what else is out there? What's what other things can we watch aside from the movies and the theaters, besides from the, the ones with the big marketing budget and the ones that fail in the box office because they spent too much money on their marketing budget? Um, what other movies have kind of been lurking around? And can you tell all the listeners what we are reviewing for this week? Well, this week we are reviewing They Clone Tyrone. Directed by you like the way I did that. They uh, I did. <laughs> directed by Jewel Taylor, written by Tony Rettenmeyer, and also written by Jewel Taylor. Uh, Jamie Foxx is listed as one of the producers. We're st- starring John Boyega, Tayona Paris, um, and Jamie Foxx. Uh, I'm excited to talk to this movie to kind of go over this movie with you. Uh, it came out in in June over on Netflix, uh, and yeah. Uh, I'm very interested to talk about this movie. It's like a like a sci-fi action thriller, a little bit of comedy sprinkled in. It's uh, it yeah. had some it had some interesting vibes. It had some interesting vibes that I'm 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 curious for this conversation later. I think interesting vibes is a good choice of words there. Uh, because this movie was definitely a vibe, even a psychological thriller in a way, a mystery, mm-hmm. if you say. This movie is a lot of things that we're going to dive into a little bit later. Um, Jewel Taylor, this is his directorial debut, so I think it'll be, we're going to be talking about that and how this is the first movie he's directed. Um, but he isn't, um, I guess, unaware of the scene. He's been a writer for a while, and he's been credited as writing uh, Creed Two and Space Jam, A New Legacy, as well as Shooting Stars, which is a movie, which is a, a biopic about LeBron James in his early career before getting into the NBA. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, and then Tony Rettenmeyer, uh, um, he also co-wrote uh, Space Jam, A New Legacy, and Shooting Stars with. So they've had some history together, and now they came out with they clone Tyrone. And so I also am very interested in having this conversation with you because I think we can at least both agree as far as a tease into our upcoming spoiler review that this is a movie we haven't quite seen in quite some time. It was, uh, it was fresh. It was, <laughs> it was nice. Well, it was just nice to watch something different. Yes. And uh, we're going to get into more of that mm-hmm. a little bit later. Of course. But Matt, of course, we must start with some news. There's some juicy news. There has week. been, yeah. And also, it's like it's been a while since we've talked about news. It's been a couple of episodes. Actually, maybe maybe only maybe we skipped one week. I don't remember. But it's been a while since we talked about news, so we're kind of catching ourselves up as well as our listeners up on some of the latest and juicy things that have been happening. <laughs> yeah, so to kick things off, this past week, the movie review site, Rotten Tomatoes, maybe a little site you may have heard <laughs> you of, may have has heard been... Of. <laughs> 
has been in the recent headlines, but I believe those headlines are a little misleading. So let me explain. An in-depth report, Vulture, uh, published an article uncovering a scheme from a PR firm called Bunker 15 that populated paid positive reviews for the 2018 Daisy Ridley drama um, Ophelia. Did you get to see Ophelia? I, I didn't. Honestly, I have not heard of this movie. Neither have I. <laughs> so... I know who that is. I know who Daisy Ridley is. Yeah, she's, she's <laughs> the lady from Star Wars. I know that show yeah. and I know that very well. But yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I've never heard of that movie before. Neither have I. So after initial reviews came in, resulting in a disappointing 46% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, a movie is deemed rotten if falling short of the 60% rating. Vulture reports that Bunker 15 started paying lower-level critics on the website to post positive reviews for $50, essentially trying to manipulate the system. The firm also lobbied one critic to change their negative review to positive. As it turns out, the scheme worked and money flowed. Ophelia jumped to a 60, 62% rating, scoring that coveted the Fresh label, and the next month, IFC Films announced it acquired the film for distribution. Bunker 15, for its part, denied the allegations with founder Daniel Harlow telling Vulture, we have thousands of writers in our distribution list. Only a small handful have set up a specific system where filmmakers can sponsor or pay to have them review a film. Although... Hold on, hold on. Before you get into that, I do want to kind of... I do want to pause there because the... So it's kind of explaining that whole situation. The... The headlines have been reporting that Rotten Tomatoes is under fire. And I feel like that particular headline is misleading because as you read that and as I understand it, Rotten Tomatoes didn't do anything wrong per se if they did not know about these paid reviews. But what I I will say, though, is that I think that what this article is highlighting and this report is highlighting that this um, that th- this Bunker 15 used the platform Rotten Tomatoes to its advantage. Like they're they're basically utilizing the system, not necessarily the system being at fault. That is that how you read it? Because I don't read it as Rotten Tomatoes necessarily did anything wrong. It's just another company or PR firm abusing the system. Yeah, so this is what we have pulled up here is Vulture's article. The D, it's t- the headline is a decomposition of Rotten Tomatoes. The most overrated metric in movies is erratic, reductive, and easily hacked. And yet Hollywood has, and yet has Hollywood in its grip. See that I understand because it is. I think we all recognize that it's this thing that's not perfect Mm -hmm. but yet everybody seems to go oh it's got a certified fresh it must oh that must be an amazing movie right everybody's clings to to rotten tomatoes as their metric of is this movie gonna be worth my time but i think they're just pointing out like this this little this little blurb with the movie ophelia is just highlighting like the a, a system that's clearly corrupt and it's easily like what's the word um manipulated for any for any movie that wants to see financial gain from their project so then it's like what purpose is 
Rotten Tomatoes actually serving if everything's just going to be paid reviews? You know what I mean? Like, yes. Where, what, what, what's the reason? Like, and, you know, we're not here. Like, we review stuff, but I think more is it's just more of like we like to talk about movies and then we like to see where that conver- – like what conversation does that movie bring about? Mm-hmm. It, and, and, you know, and it, there is sometimes we get in caught up of was it good or not, but that's just because like – the movie whether it just wasn't good or not like i'm not yeah. but you know what i mean like sometimes the movie's not good enough to warrant the conversation where you're right. just kind of stuck on like well it was just like i just couldn't even get into the story because the movie was so bad mm-hmm. you know what i mean or yeah. vice or vice versa where you're kind of like idolizing like certain aspects of the movie where you're enthralled more of this thing that they showed you whereas instead of being enthralled in the story itself yeah, and I think that makes sense. Yeah, and we've talked about Rotten Tomatoes as well as other review sites many times on this podcast before. We either use it as, and I to me anyway, I like to use it as a guide, not really more of a uh, a reference point on whether or not I'm going to watch the movie. I think the the people behind the scenes of the movie, the actors that are in that movie, as well as the trailer and how the movie is represented, are my tools in order to see if I want to watch the movie or not, or is the story even interesting? Some of the behind the scenes of it all, stuff like that. I but I know a lot of people don't dive into the movie as much as we do, on like doing like if we want to watch it, or in our case when we're doing this podcast, if whether or not we want to review it. And so with all of that, a lot of people do take Rotten Tomatoes as the end all be all if it shows rotten i'm not going to watch it if it shows fresh i'll give it a chance you know um yeah that's not the way that it should be used but i think that rotten tomatoes as a whole has been put into hollywood as a society is like this is the define defining end all be all rating system that can generate people to go see the movie or not um where technically that's not always the case i mean those reviews as well as ours that we do each and every week uh they're all opinionated the only way that you're going to know whether or not you like the movie is if you actually watch the movie yourself whether whatever they say yeah. there have been many movies that i'm 100 percent interested in the plot and i don't really care what the critics say i will look at them to see what they are and see what other people are saying about it and I'm sure a lot of people who listen to our podcast are probably interested in what we have to say about a certain movie. But in no way should that deter you from watching the movie yourself. We're not here to recommend them. Well, I mean, some movies we do recommend. And some movies we tell you how we feel if we don't like it. But in no way are we telling anyone to not watch a movie based on our recommendations. <laughs> no, and I, and you know? I, we're not even – and for if you actually listen, like our podcast is mainly talking about – we talk about it like as if you've already seen the movie. Like that's how our right, that's right. how our our film conversations take place. They take place mm-hmm. not f- for us to give you a recommendation. Yeah, yeah, like you just said, like not a recommendation to go see it. This is a conversation about after the fact. Like you've already seen the movie. Like now let's yeah. get into an in depth conversation of what of how we felt about the movie and what conversations, if any, spur from the movie that we just watched. You know, right. And and I and I will also say that like as far as Rotten Tomatoes are concerned, I'm sure that Rotten Tomatoes and probably a multitude of other um, review sites, like even IMDb has their own rating system as well. It's not really generated by critics per se, but they do have a metric store that is Reddit generated by critics, and then there's also the audience score, very similar to Rotten Tomatoes. You can't believe that every one of those reviews are genuine. I feel yeah. I feel like that's 
that's something that that that's just not unrealistic. I feel like that what Vulture and their the article that they published and the research that they went into is just kind of highlighting an example of a movie that no one's ever heard of. This is a movie that came out five years ago and it's already did its its run and like a lot of people already probably forgot about it. It's like this is another one of those movies among many other movies that came out in the year 2018. And the fact that like, oh, well, people, this company paid Bunker 15, uh, like some company paid Bunker 15 to reach out to lower end critics to write a positive review on it. I feel like that is not the only time that's happening. But I think at the very least, this article is kind of just putting on the on the forefront that this proving more or less if these all of these things actually did happen uh that it happens yeah and you know take take those reviews and take those scores with a grain of salt um in this in this case but i think what it highlights is that yeah it is happening but how often is this happening like to what like this is just a small this is a small movie so how many big movies have they done this for and then the the article kind of goes into like um, they talk about Dial of Destiny, and they, they list Cannes Film Festival. It does seem like the article is, like, very – like, they're very strong in their beliefs. Like, it doesn't – there's not mm. – the article's not very neutral about mm. their stance on the, on the issue, which is, which is fine. It's an opinion piece. It's not meant to be that way. Right. But it's, like, it's very clear how they feel about the issue. And, I mean, and, and it is upsetting because this is a thing that people in the world have come – to trust and now i think what we have all feared that of what rotten tomatoes and these review sites are is that exactly what they are that i mean it's the same thing with like amazon reviews do you think every review yeah do you think every <laughs> review you read on amazon is genuine if you are then you are in trouble like <laughs> yeah <laughs> like i feel very bad for you and i kind of look at it i kind of look at it the same way you kind of kind of have to take it with a grain everything you see with a grain of salt like Absolutely. you know that's just that's the unfortunate reality in the world we live in you know in the article they call cans like a snooty film festival it's like well i mean i don't know if snooty is the word that i would use maybe sure i i can see how there would be some entitlement there like reviewers who come every year like oh that's the guy who reviewed this film. Oh, I wonder what's he gonna think about my film. Oh, we have to make sure he's comfortable. Like, you know what I mean? Like, right. like I'm yeah, sure yeah. there's, I'm sure there's all that kind of shit. And you know, these marketing agencies, they have to make money too. And this is how they, they're, they're paid to promote movies and make movies more financially successful. And they, Absolutely, and yeah. you, and somebody said, hey, there's this thing that we can kind of, we can kind of, we can kind of take advantage of this system here to seek the financial gain that we need. And it's and, and all and we see sorry. it. No, no, no. I, that was yeah. it. I was just you know just saying that, like it's kind of been obvious, but it, it's it's you know now there's very clear evidence, and it's kind of out in the open now, you know. And it, right now it's more or less like people are, might start digging into well, how many more of these have been this exact case? Sure. And you may not know that answer on every single movie. That's going to be hard to tell. But also what's interesting with the article, and again, where I can see that it can be misleading, is that they attribute Rotten Tomatoes for accepting those payments of like those $50 like small fees. And they credit like say lower, lower level critics. Just to keep in mind, those lower level critics are basically certified movie critics that Rotten Tomato deems as certified movie critics. Like and so the lower end ones are what the, the people that they claim to be paid off and write a positive review on a movie. 
I, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, Rotten Tomatoes doesn't necessarily have any writers on staff that does movie reviews. They do other things on the website, like like they have a lot of videos and a lot of like editorials about the industry, and I've read those before. But I don't think any one of those staffers actually write the reviews. They have other people, like movie critics, that have to go through a process in order to be certified as an official movie critic for your review to be under the critics category and not the audience category. So, so yeah, I just I just find that whole thing very interesting but also not very surprising like i i feel like that if you did not know that before maybe this could be eye-opening but also to you amy you made a great point about the amazon reviews you can't tell me that every one of those reviews are legit 100%. um and if and if you <laughs> and if you know anything about particular amazon reviews you always go down to you gotta go to the filter select the ones that are more recent instead of the one that are more popular uh, the popular ones could help you, but also just read in between the lines. If it's like overly, overly positive and it's not really descriptive, maybe that's not the review you want to go by. <laughs> you know, if you if it provides a little bit more detailed, then maybe okay, maybe this person actually bought the product and used it, and not just you know getting paid for it. Um, but yeah, kind of like you said, and what we've been saying, any type of review, whether it be a movie or anything, take it with a grain of salt. Do your own research and then form your own opinion. That's that's what that is. And then I know you're about to go into, but the last part of this article um, uh, reads as, as oh, such. Yeah. And uh, Rotten Tomatoes told Vulture that it takes the integrity of our scores seriously and does not tolerate any attempts to manipulate them. It's an alarming example of how easily critic aggregators like Rotten Tomatoes can be manipulated, can be manipulated, especially when there's financial incentive to do so. And it's... And it's like, well, where is the line? How do? But then at mm-hmm. the at the same point, like, how do these review sites? How do they make money? Like, very you're, true. Like, you're gonna tell me they're gonna turn now? It's unethical. It's a. It kind of walks that line because yes. the whole point is like, if anybody can just pay for good reviews, then why even have a review? Like, what's the right. what's the purpose of you giving your genuine opinion on this? If it's not, it just, it just seems dis, it doesn't seem genuine. So it's like, right. I understand your need to, to make money. And there was, you know, you found financial gain in being able to collect reviews. Like, Oh, what, you know, what's the next thing you're going to start charging your reviewers a fee to post on your site? Like, is that going to be right? You know, I, I mean, and I actually don't know, like that may actually already be a thing. They, they may, they may, you may have to pay for that to be a reviewer on there. Because then you seem so you can pay for the credibility, kind of like the same thing what X does, like to play for the blue check yes. mark. You know, what if it's yeah. the same thing? Yeah, and then that and that's all. I mean, who knows? I mean, it's possible. And then this again, Rotten Tomatoes is just under fire for this particular instance. But who knows of other movie review sites that have been doing the same thing? So yeah, I feel like there's going to be more to come on this. Like I feel like this is yeah. maybe just the beginning of what's to unfold later. Like I feel like there's going to be some more of uh, investigative, or at least kind of I hope some more reporting on this, so we can yeah. get a better idea of what's going on with these sites. Yeah. And, but also, like, again, I'm still going to use Rotten Tomatoes because I do find it interesting of the metric. I don't like a lot of people just stop at the number and I don't think you should do that. You can still use Rotten Tomatoes as a tool, but actually read the reviews that they're doing. It's yeah. like you, people just go to the site. The number is an easy, easy access. It's like, oh, I read the review and there's a consensus on it. Now, those consensus reviews about those movies 
I believe are staff writers. So like they kind of take a consensus of what everyone's been writing and give a sentence review on the movie. And I guess that's fine. But like, you can't just use that. Like if you're really interested in seeing the movie and you want to hear what other people are saying about it, you got to read a couple of, you know, got a couple of reviews. I, I, I like to often read the audience more than the critics because I see what the critics are saying, but it's really about the audience. The audience honestly tells me if I'm being swayed one way or another, and if I want to actually watch the movie or not. And, you know, and they, I, the honest, the audiences are always brutal when it comes to their <laughs> reviews. So, uh, and, and yeah. that's, and, but see, and that's the other thing, like you can always see, there's always a clear division between like, very rarely is it very even like you can kind of tell like movies you see it's like 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 wow did these people who review this like watch this movie like there's no way like you can almost read and be like that's bullshit that's bullshit yeah like oh you can kind of see that i think this guy saw this movie like but the other it's like no like what are they doing like you could tell this is fake and i think it's just you know like kind of we've beaten a dead horse at this point but Mm-hmm. Like the points made, like don't put all your stock into these review sites. I, <laughs> right. I like I like to use them as an after effect. Like I see it and then I go, well, yes. what are other people saying about it? Like, am, am I right? Did I miss something? Like mm-hmm. it's I kind of use it as like a base level to check myself to where I'm at compared to other people. Not as but I understand it's the, that for 99 percent of the people who don't have that kind of time, um, they look at it as is this worth my time? Like, I want to go see a right. movie. I don't want to see a bad movie. Let's see what the world is saying about it to see if it's right. even worth my time. But now it's yeah. like, well, why even look? What does it matter? It, it obviously doesn't matter. So you just, mm-hmm. everything, just a roll of the dice. You know, for some people, it's like watching a baseball game. Do you know that yeah. that's going to be a baseball, a good game before you go see it? No. True. You take the risk when you pull up to the stadium and you sit your ass on the seat <laughs> or when you turn on the TV to watch the game. Like, just, you need to apply that same logic towards movies. Just yeah. take the chance. <laughs> sometimes it's going like to be good that. and sometimes it's going to be boring. <laughs> <laughs> actually, a sports analogy, as the few that we actually put out here, that was actually a really good one. Thank you. I just because, yeah, you spend, you spend more. <laughs> You will spend more money to see a sporting event than you do to see a movie in the theater. But I think with the sporting event, it's all about the journey. Yes. If you enjoy the – like it's not about if your team win or lost. That's just the bonus. You're not lo- really looking for a good game. It's about the camaraderie of the people that are surrounding you and the setting that you're in. That's and, – and we call that – for us, the movie theater experience. <laughs> Maybe 100%. not necessarily the people around us, but definitely the experience that we had while watching a movie. Yeah. And at the very least, if you didn't like the movie, you can say that you watched on the big screen with good sound and good picture. And, so. you know, and that's kind of the same too. You're like, you don't enjoy everybody who you see the game with. Sometimes there's some asshole in the stands, and sometimes there's an asshole in the movie theater who's yeah. either on their phone or some guy who won't shut the fuck – and in both instances, if somebody who won't <laughs> shut the fuck up, you just want you just want to hit them. Like, just shut up. Watch the movie, <laughs> aka watch the game. <laughs> yeah, just just watch the game. And also for some people, like it, like just watching a live sporting event is good enough. Exactly, it's just good. It's just good enough. Yeah. And so, yeah. But anyway, like you said, we're beating a dead horse here. Um, take Rotten Tomatoes with a grain of salt. This this article is just putting a light on it. Yeah, we're gonna um, get off our soapbox but, now. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna get off the soapbox. Moving on to a more, uh, again. It worked. I feel like this news is all juicy. It's not easy to say that. Yes, it is. Um, <laughs> uh, Warner Brothers TV has suspended overall deals with more of its A-list marquee producers, um, which is believed to include uh, Greg Berlanti, Bill Lawrence, John Wells, Chuck Lorre, uh, Mindy King, uh, Kaling, 
and J.J. Abrams. Insiders note that uh, suspensions usually only put a deal on hold while no work is being done mm. anyway. Once production resumes, the deal resumes, with the previous suspension time tracked onto the end of the pact. But it still means that the overall... I'm sorry, it still means that the overhead to pay salaries at companies like J.J. Abrams' Bad Robot will be paused, impacting staffers in the meantime. I think this this, this small little blurb here and the small little article is actually not small at all. And I think this is just another instance of how the strike is impacting not only writers and not only actors, but because that the both of these both the writers and the actors are on strike is pausing productions and now warner brothers tv and i'm sure others are following this is that right now there's no productions going on so that means we have to put these productions on pause and we can't keep paying these these staffers at these overall deals because there's no productions happening so we have to pause them so people who work for the companies for example of jj abrams bad robot for the staffers to work there they are also out of it productions are no longer happening and they might not necessarily be writers or or actors they're probably producers or working in any other multitude of their company and now all of that's on pause and no one's getting paid so i i think this this little this this blurb here is kind of just kind of highlighting that it's affecting more than just the writers and staffers. It's affecting the whole industry. Um, and, you know, it's just another reason why they just need to come up with a deal because a lot of people are being affected by this. Yeah, I think this is the next natural progression. Like, we're not, like you said, we're not talking about writers and producers. We're talking, like, janitors, people who sure. work in the finance department, the secretary who runs the front desk. They now, because everything has stopped and these people can't come to a deal, well, and it makes sense. There's nothing happening. So it right. means for all this time, these people are just sitting around just like waiting for work to come in. Be, right. But nothing's nothing's happening. So they're literally not doing anything. So it makes sense why the production companies are taking this step. Plus, we don't know, like, I'm assuming these contracts have end dates. Like, hey, right. your production must be done by this date. Well, we all know that we're on strike. So how can I adhere to this contract if there's nothing being produced at this current moment? Right. So that, that makes sense. Because then once deals get going, then it's better for both parties that we have an accurate time of how much this is going to cost. That way, the company, the production, they're not spending money, you know, on something that's not being done, it's very unfortunate, but this is more of a reason why this strike needs to end. Like, right. they need to come to the table and just come to an agreement. We all know what's going to happen. We all know, like, nobody's going to be happy. Like, there needs to be some sort of mediation. Everybody needs to come out of there. Like, nobody's going to be happy. Everybody's going to be like, okay, well, I can live with that. Yeah. <laughs> like, it needs to be some sort of in the middle for both, for everybody involved. So that we can, so that, you know, we can enjoy what we care to, what we, you know, all our products, yeah. you know, all our, all our shows and all these things. But that's only going to happen if people are paid the way they feel they need to be paid. Yeah. And like, even, even so just kind of going off of, a, of a kind of, um, I think we highlighted last week, it was more in our, what you're watching segment, but, um, oh, excuse me. It was more of our what you're watching segment. So if you hadn't listened to last week's episode or you might have skipped to when we just talked about the box office uh, numbers, you might have missed it. So just kind of kind of reiterating this again. And also, again, the fact that this is an ongoing strike and there's a lot of consequences to come with it. But on the topic of Warner Brothers and Warner Brother Pictures and Legendary delayed Den of Villeneuve's highly anticipated film Dune Part 2 to 2024. This movie was supposed to be released in November of 2023, and they pushed it back to March 15th 
of uh, 2024 due to the ongoing writers and actors strike. And to, to, to some, most people read that as like, oh, they just pushed back the release date and, and mainly because no one's marketing the movie. But as we further look down on it, it has repercussions for it, mainly so that, again, of like we talked about last week, the Marvel now, the Marvels, the Marvels, Marvel Studios, the Marvels now has access to IMAX showings because Dune was taken over that spot. And now um, now the Marvels now has IMAX showing. So that's a benefit to them. And also Dune is out of the 2024 Oscar race. And therefore it puts Oppenheimer in a better spot when it comes to getting those coveted uh, nominations for some of the technical awards that they're all being predicted that they'll be nominated for. So like, again, this is another example of the trickle down effect of like, because of the ongoing writers and actors strike, things are being delayed and therefore other things are taking place and losing opportunities for others while other people are kind of gaining in the sense of uh, going back to the Warner brothers TV deal. Like the Warner brothers is kind of saving money because they're not paying you know, staffers to do basically nothing while the productions are on strike. And these are all just cost cutting measures. So they're, so Warner brothers is not losing out on money while the writers and actors strike is going. And I do feel like that. I wish that instead of taking those measures, we would focus that energy on trying to focus on a deal instead of trying to save your ass in the current moment. Mm. So, so yeah, I agree. But I, I do think it's, out of all of this, it sucks that it's being pushed back. But I, I think it is a smart move to move it. I kind of, yeah. I talked about it last week. It's smart for it to be moved to the next year so that it can have its, so that it can have its due, kind of yeah. like it did for part one. Yeah, and 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 I think absolutely should have its due. Like we talked about, part one kind of got the short end of the stick a little bit because it was filmed, it was released during the pandemic on a dual release when it was released on HBO Max and in theaters. So they kind of lost that a little bit. So yeah, obviously they want to see a big return on it, but it just sucks that all these things are just happening, and because we're just being stubborn on making a deal, I think the writers and actors, you know, definitely continue to go in on strike and they're fighting the good fight, but. At some point, the studios are going to be like, hey, we can't continue to not make movies. And I do find that it's interesting now that I was watching the football game last night or yesterday afternoon on, on Paramount+. Plus, uh, but it was technically a, the CB, CBS station. And I was seeing CBS ads on there. And they were promoting that you can now watch Yellowstone on certain nights of the week on their cable provider. Meaning, obviously, mm. because there's no television that's currently being produced for this fall season, they have to go back into their already made content to fill slots that other that they can't otherwise fill with the with their with there was going to be for their new content. So as of right now, this is again another small example of like, oh, we just need to fill holes here for cable, but or we can go back on the sitting you know on the table, drop a deal, and then your productions can happen. But it doesn't seem like that it's happening unfortunately in the next few weeks months it, it feels like the fall season is going to hinder and then that's going to go into like the early winter and springtime that all of that is just going to be affected if we don't come up with a deal soon it it almost seems like the production companies are playing like chicken with the actors and writers yeah. and producers right it yeah. almost seems like they're like oh that's fine here, we're going to pause the payments on, on these contract deals here. Oh, and we got a bunch of good shit that we can just put on repeat. Yeah. Like, 
like we can we have enough and we have enough catalog which is kind of true mm-hmm. like they have enough backstock of so many different shit because like up until now especially during the pandemic we saw an explosion of content right. being exploded on the streaming <clears throat> services so the the problem is that they have a they have enough to hold them off for a little while right like but then there will come a breaking point. But then, you know, these people's li- like these production companies, they have money that they can kind of sit on for a while. Plus, whatever's coming in from streaming and whatever's coming in that they're still being paid for. Right. Whereas some of these people, especially people who are on the lower end, like not the not the millionaire billionaire actors and writers and, you know, right. the ones who are OK with taking these taking these kind of hits like it's. It's it's kind of hard because they're you know these people they're playing with people's lives like it almost seems absolutely it's another yeah. one of those like 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 what is the is there no urge of, is there no sense of urgency to get back to work <laughs> like on both mm-hmm. ends like do you guys not want to get back to work like what the fuck are we doing like why are yeah. you letting these people like get these people off the street like get these people back to work that's what they want to do yeah. like i don't think they really want to be in the street like this like absolutely not no you know i'm sure they would much rather be back to work so what what is going to be the great compromise what is going to be the thing that gets us to the table that says all right well now let's continue the conversation cuz it kind of seems like the past two times there have been i think last week or the week before there was a report of being brought to the table and then nothing came to fruition right. of that. So it's like, what what's yep. going on? Like, what is the, get yeah. all these fucking people in a room and just talk, just sit in a room and talk it out. Like, what is, what is the holdup? Get, let's, yeah. there should be nothing else. This should be the only priority is let's keep it going. Let's get the entire industry back to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And hopefully we get that soon because again, as uh, we're just suffering in the process, unfortunately, um, I mean, I mean, us as viewers, sure, we're not getting content, but more importantly, the, the they're not getting paid. Yeah, Writers, actors, they're not getting paid, and they need, uh, and we want, we want, we want to see their work on the screen. We want them to get money, fairly compensated, um, and we're just playing this waiting game until you know the right people just come to their senses and make a deal. Uh, right now, I think there's still a few cards up the sleeves to keep the fall season at bay as far as cable and streaming are concerned. But if we don't have a deal soon, we're definitely going to see the effects going into the early, you know, 2024 season, spring season. Um, We already know that even like award shows, like the Emmys got pushed back to January. Who knows that the Oscars could also get pushed back as well. So yeah, especially if, I mean, we're going to go, we're literally going into like Oscar reveal season where like during the fall, we're going to get a bunch of Oscar bait movies and leading into the early year. But it's like, is it a mute point at the now? Because Mm -hmm. like, is everything just going to get shifted around? And then, so everything that's supposed to be for next year, Oscars, like is a lot, you know, like we saw with up with, um, I'm sorry, excuse me, Dune two, like now you're changing the Oscar seasons for the next couple of years are going to be affected. And maybe of the next couple of years, whatever is going to go into production now, or supposed to go in production now for either the following year's Oscar, the years after that, like the next, this strike is going to affect this, this industry probably more than COVID did. That's my guess. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, or to the same, or uh, to the same level, probably like the same, like it's almost like the COVID impact all over again. Yeah. I, I agree with that. Yeah, it definitely has. It's definitely leading up to that same uh, impact for sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, besides the you know world being shut down and 
Well, that too. Well, yes. <laughs> I mean, far, yeah. I mean, well, as far as nothing coming out, the, you know, like the, the yeah, movie theaters well, aren't going to close, but there's not going to be really anything being shown in them. Like we're going to like correct. like almost COVID reopening is kind of where it's kind of where I'm seeing it. Yeah, it's like we're we're say, we're seeing a very similar impact to the entertainment industry, like COVID did. Yeah, just not as severe as like it's affecting everybody in the world. Yeah. Well, hopefully we wow. see some. We see something from it soon, and we don't see any more reports like this. Yeah, uh, agreed. So, moving on. Taylor Swift <laughs> has announced that her Eras Tour concert film will be hitting theaters October 13th, which just so happens to be the same release date as The Exorcist <laughs> Believer. Swifties and scary movie enthusiasts, I want to see some marketing for, Bar- for Barbenheimer the same thing I want to see for The Exorcist and Taylor Swift, I think. Oh, I feel like there's something reading. there, yeah. <laughs> uh, the event Exorcist, hoping to re- recreate Barbenheimer-style moment. Well, less than 24 hours later, The Exorcist believer J- Jason Blum took to social media to say, look what you made me do. That's funny. The Exorcist believer moves to date 10-6, hashtag Taylor wins. Obviously, it implies the date was shifted by an a week to avoid to- Taylor Swift mayhem, they were sure be flocking to theaters. Um, that was that was a smart move. Although I felt like it could have worked. <laughs> I felt like he could have went the other way. I felt like he could have went the other way on this one. Like maybe, like maybe this would have worked out better in his favor if he kind of tried to capitalize it. But you know, he went for the safer route. He knew there was no way to battle it. And let me tell you, when those damn tickets went on sale, I was planning to go to the movies that day. So I went on mm-hmm. AMC. I was like, let me load it up. I was like. Why is this? Why is the app going so slow? Like, so then I reloaded it like three times. So you're in line, in line for what? Like, <laughs> I'm gonna go to the fucking movies. <laughs> what am I in line for? And then I see, and then I finally stop to look, and it's like you're in line. The literally the only thing you could do on the app was order Taylor Swift tickets. Wow. Like, wow. I'm kind of curious so, what the sales were. It it beat out Spider Man No Way Home for it beat the record that Spider Man No Way Home made of the most tickets sold within the first twenty four hours of its release, like for it to go on sale, like pre order sales. Here, according to People Magazine, look at this, People Magazine reports twenty six million dollar first day ticket sales, just to see Taylor Swift in concert on TV. Like not to see yeah. her in, co- I mean, and I get it, but yeah, I mean, people love Taylor Swift. I mean, she she is really she like saved the economy. I think I also read. Yeah. Like, I think I also read <laughs> yeah. somewhere that her all her tours and everything she's been doing recently has basically helped re- like reinvigorate our our economy. It's like, well, thank for thank you Taylor Swift and Swifties for doing so. <laughs> So I I would I did I would never expect that we'll be having an in depth conversation about Taylor Swift on this podcast, but here we are because she made her way into the movie theater world. Um, but yeah, it's honestly it's you you really can't you know deny how how much of an impact that she has on like like in her music and the people flocking to her concerts. Megan is also one of those people that really wanted to go see her in concert, but it's just really really hard. To even get tickets on the base price, let alone, you know, forking up thousands of dollars just to see her in person uh, because those concerts were, re- you know, ridiculous. The, the Even the fact that she went on and say that, like, she was doing a second U.S. tour and there was a waiting. You had to sign up to be in the 
pre-line, but those pre-line were randomly selected to, spe- to random people who signed up for the pre-line. And so if you didn't even get that, it was like layers just to buy a ticket. Um, and so that's how big this fandom is. So when you look at it as far as people who have who, who've been trying to see her in concert and was unable to do so, she's giving everyone around the world an opportunity to see what she was able to do on stage just on the big screen. And they came in a big way of, you know, used to $26 million uh, on first day ticket sales. And I don't know. I, I'm, and I feel like this is an interesting conversation. We see the hype around Barbenheimer. We see what that was able to do. Obviously, Barbenheim, I'm sorry, Barbie was the clear winner as far as, you know, box office sales. They made a $1.38 billion is one of the biggest uh, movies of the year. Um, and then Oppenheimer always came in second place when it was, you know, done to Barbie. So with that in mind, like there's one there's one sense of being like Jason Blum can just like write off that popularity and be like, hey, the people already deemed it as Exo Swift. Just leave it alone. And maybe they might go see my movie in a very similar Barbenheimer fashion. Yeah. But at the same time, he's like, well, Barbie, Barbie was the clear winner here and I don't want to suffer I don't want to take the risk. So putting it up a week early so you don't have to compete with any of that because I feel like he knew he was going to lose. But even though that Oppenheimer technically lost, right, it didn't because it made a shit ton of money. So I'm not sure what the right move was, you know? Like because you could ride the fact that people are already going to be at the theaters or unless – since he's going to go the week before, you can still kind of capitalize on everybody going to the theaters. Like, ooh, like, oh, we're going to see Taylor Swift. Like, oh, but then next week we can come and see, like, we're going to see The Exorcist. Oh, we go see Taylor Swift. Oh, hey, well, let's come back tomorrow and go watch Taylor Swift. <laughs> or, you know what I mean? Vice versa. Yeah. Like, there's gonna there might be a little bit of that. I think Taylor Swift, again, is going to help, you know, bring, she's helping bring people back to the theater. She's been filling arenas. Now she's going to fill the movie theaters. Like it only, <laughs> yeah, make, no but joke. it only makes sense. Cause people can't afford those crazy ass tickets. Like, yeah. I, I like, I like Taylor Swift, but is it like thousands of dollars per ticket to go see her? Like, do I need, why do I have yeah. to go take out a small loan to go see her perform? <laughs> <laughs> I guess she's great, but, but you know what? Everybody, yeah. but I, I talk, but everybody has their vices. Cause I'll, I'll go, sure. I'll go to Megacon and I'll spend an absurd amount of money that I've worked for and saved all year. Whereas people do the same thing when they go see Taylor Swift, it's the same, it's the same yeah. level of enjoyment just towards a different venture. So yeah, I'm here and, for, I'm here for and, you Swifties. You guys, and you enjoy it. <laughs> Uh, it's also just kind of putting up a fact that like when Barbenheimer was happening, Oppenheimer as the opposite to Barbie was not a horror movie. So like if people wanted to dive into that, they would just have to listen to people talk for three hours and like maybe get an interesting story out of it. If if that wasn't necessarily your cup of tea, but you wanted to be part of the Barbenheimer event. The Exorcist is a different beast than Oppenheimer in the sense that this is a hard horror movie and a lot of people take a stance on I will never see a horror movie because that is not my cup of tea. So maybe as as fun as Exo Swift could have been, again, maybe it was the right call because like horror movie, you're you're tailoring to a horror movie audience, and uh, maybe the people who are going to go see Taylor Swift were not going to do the same for for watching a horror movie, especially The Exorcist, which based on the trailer looks pretty scary. Yeah, like it looks like it looks pretty. pretty looks pretty, pretty intense. Pretty scary. <laughs> Pretty intense, and yeah. but in you know, sure. but the other thing is that The Exorcist in itself is like a legacy horror movie. 
because this is not a mm-hmm. remake. Well, it's almost like a right. revitalization of the franchise. Yes. Like, which is, they they took the route that I that I particularly enjoy when it comes to these I, these big IPs. It's like don't shit on work that you've already done. Like all you're doing is right. tell the people who worked on it. It's like your shit sucks. Like we have to start. Unfortunately, what you made was too bad. Was so bad that we literally have to start over. Right. Right. Um. So it's a continuation. So I'm here for that. But like The Exorcist is considered like one of the most iconic, like horror yep. franchises of all time. So, Mike Jason Blum, don't sell yourself short. Like there's, I'm sure there yeah. are huge Exorcist fans. Maybe you know, not to the level of Swifties, but maybe you got right. some Exo Swifties and you know lurking <laughs> in those ranks who would have been here for yeah. the 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 Taylor Swift Exorcist double feature. Like they're dead. Yeah. You definitely would have had some capitalization there, but no. Look, look, we made the right. I think he made the safe choice. I agree. I think he's gonna make some. Yeah, he's gonna make his money um, releasing Exorcist a week early, and so by all power to him. And then the week later, the theater is gonna have a different shade. You know, it's gonna be back in the pink, back in you know maybe the sparkly outfits. I don't know what you wear to go see Taylor Swift in concert, let alone you go to the movie theater and go. But it's gonna be event for sure. So if you're planning on going. I think it's actually kind of funny in a way that Taylor Swift picked the October 13th date, which is the Friday the 13th. And The Exorcist is a great time to have a movie, a horror movie, release on October 13th. And Taylor Swift, of all people, kicked the horror movie out of the Friday the 13th spot. It's like, oh, man, you could have opened The Exorcist on Friday the 13th. It's like, what happened? It's like, nah, man, you know, Taylor Swift, she's she's. (laughs) revitalizing the american economy like we had to just let her take yeah. it we just we just took the backseat like nah go ahead swifties you got it we'll scare people the week before even though it wakes even though it makes way more sense for us to be out on friday the 13th to add to the spooky thing right. but the swifties have it <laughs> jason bub's like the movie's still out on friday the 13th that that's your jam and you can just watch it a week early just think of this as a preview it's an early release it's an early, yeah. it's an early wide release for people yeah it could still be released on the 13th like we can okay, still market yeah. it that way it just will be in yeah. the movies a week earlier you just Are you we... just have to be in the know you just have yeah. to know that yeah <laughs> Um, but, but yeah, I know. And also just as far as the Taylor Swift, the, you know, concert film is concerned, there are multiple showings, not surprising that are already sold out. Oh, I honestly thought it was, I thought it was a one day event. Uh, but luckily and probably smart for for her for doing this as of right now, it's it's at least it's a full weekend. So it's the 13th, the 14th and the 15th. Who knows if that's going to extend or not? It has Uh, to. But I'm sure it has to. It has to. Like if the theaters, especially, especially now with kind of going back to the writer strike with all this shit going on with the writer strike so true. like with nothing coming out why would you pull out your only money maker it's like hey we could do a month run like we could run this shit for a month like that's okay yeah like you want to go in the dolby do you want to go in the imax like <laughs> yeah and, and i'm sure it's already is in some areas I'm sure. some people like it's like, oh, for the best Damn. sound, we can pay more. Absolutely, we're gonna do that. We've never seen a movie in Dolby before, but we'll see it for Taylor Swift. So uh-huh. whenever we'll see a movie in IMAX before, we'll do it for Taylor Swift. So I'm seeing a, tr- I'm, I, I'm I, seeing a trend. Next is gonna be yeah. Beyonce. Next is gonna be Beyonce, Beyonce in theaters. Yeah. But you know what? That would people would yeah. watch the shit out of that. <laughs> like, 
And honestly, movie exhibitors will be happy as hell. It's like, you want to bring your concert to theaters? By all means, go right ahead and do so. We're not going to have any excuse why you people are not going to come to our theater. So Taylor Swift could be starting something that we don't know it's happening yet. Yeah, so because only time will tell. Because even if they're going for the concert, once you have people in the theater and they see all the posters, they go, oh... Well, that yeah. that might look a little interesting. That I like. Hey, this wasn't so bad. Like, hey, let's go. Maybe in a couple of weeks, when that comes out, we'll go check that out. And then you know, there's gonna mm-hmm. be there's gonna be some of that. So I'm here for it. whatever's gonna get people back into yeah. the theaters and what's gonna keep these theaters operating and running so that they can be financially successful. Like, I'm here for it. Yeah, I see it, it as a win-win. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so with that, October 13th, if you're into it, go see Taylor Swift. October 6th, go see The Exorcist. Uh, that, that, that rhymed. Um, anyway, uh, last but not least, uh, more popular TV shows are getting canceled from multiple uh, streaming platforms, starting with Hulu, canceled The Great after three seasons, and How I Met Your Father after two seasons. I know that I was one of the watchers of The Great, and I got into like halfway through season two, and it was it was funny, um, but I never continued it after that, and obviously a lot of people probably fell off after season three, so it's kind of sad, but three seasons also a decent run. Yeah. And I guess the, the spinoff of How I Met Your Mother, the How I Met Your Father, um, I guess didn't resonate with a lot of people, given that it only lasted two seasons. Um, NBC canceled... No, I missed one. HBO canceled The Idol after just one season. That show got heavily scrutinized with a massive amount of negative reviews. A lot of people did not like that show. Esteban was one of them that was interested, but he said that he wasn't feeling it either. Yeah. I remember I was interested, but I never... I was like... Like, nothing really drew me to it because it just seemed like, mm-hmm. I don't know, it just seemed like really, really crazy. I was like, nah, like, I like crazy, but this this doesn't seem like my yeah. kind of jam. <laughs> yeah, and this was from the creator of Euphoria, so this was his next project, so, so clearly it did not resonate with audience as much as Euphoria did. It's like, or maybe you tried to do Euphoria again and it was just like a little, maybe it was too much of the same. Once again, I'm speculating because I yeah. haven't gotten to see it, but that's mm-hmm. my, that's the general vibe I get from it. Yeah, but with that, I'm probably not going to go take out my time to go watch The Idol after if it's done with one season. Yeah. I'm, I'm good with that. I'm good. Um, NBC canceled American Auto after two seasons. Um, Amazon Prime Video canceled A League of Their Own and uh, Peripheral after their first seasons after being originally renewed just a few months ago. So they had both given those shows a season two renewal, and now they backtracked it after, you know, I guess this is just maybe part of the the strikes. Yeah. It's really unknown why they decided to take back their renewal, but I'm sure the strikes have something to do with it and also a cost-cutting measure, which, again, wouldn't be surprising if they did that. It's like, oh, well, we, we kind of gave these shows a second life, and now we're taking it back. Like, never mind. It didn't do as well as we wanted it to do, so whatever. Um, like I said, it's presumed that the strikes were uh, that the strikes were cause of the cancellations. Uh, lastly, Disney Plus canceled development on two of their unreleased shows the spiderwick chronicles and not nautilus yeah. uh a prequel series based on the Twenty Thousand leagues under the sea as part of a content and cost cutting cost cutting measures and strategy shifts the spiderwick chronicles is already completed with eight episodes and is currently being shopped around to potential buyers by paramount television studios who co-financed the project so it's kind of interesting that 
at least in the sense of the Spiderwick Chronicles, the show's already done. And I guess as far as part of a cost-cutting measure, Disney, who co-financed it with Paramount, was like, you know what? We don't think it's going to you know, have the same draw some of our other IPs, so we're just going to not do this anymore after it's already completed. And then I do know that Nautilus was a uh, was currently filming, and they probably paused due to the strikes, and now they just canceled it altogether. So it kind of sucks that you get that far and you're not able to release it. And this is a topic of conversation we've had many times on the show, more famously with like Batgirl that's mm-hmm. sitting on a shelf somewhere being completed, and they're choosing not to release it just to save some money there. Yeah, like and you know, and you with the Batgirl thing, they could easily just drop it on max and just have it live there like no promotion or anything mm-hmm. just so people can watch it and that would get people to yeah. to watch your streaming service like that would be a reason to get yeah. them on there but Absolutely. but it makes sense you know james gunn doesn't want to although i'm surprised he released the flash i mean <laughs> that's a whole other conversation for another day but you know yes. neither here nor there but i mean it sucks yeah. but maybe Maybe there wasn't enough there to begin with to even warrant a second season for the for these projects. Sure, sure. Or even the fact that un, even the unreleased projects, like maybe they were seeing where it was going and maybe they did ourselves a favor. I don't know. I don't want to discredit the show we haven't seen. Um, but I think a prequel to 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea is already an interesting concept that I would have, you know, been interested in watching. Uh, the Spiderwork Chronicles, maybe it wasn't for me, but we might be at, we might end up seeing that show anyway uh, because they're shopping around for it. And in, by, in my head, it's like Paramount Television Studios is shopping around for a potential buyer, yet you have a streaming service that you can you put it on. Easily just like, so, here, here you go. Just put it on there. Yeah, you, yeah exactly. Um, so if you're looking forward for any of those shows, unfortunately, they are canceled. Uh, but with that, that's all the entertainment news we have for you guys this week. As always, you can find all of the latest and breaking entertainment news relating to movies and TV or just in the industry on our social media channels on Instagram at box office underscore binger and our fist and our Facebook and threads page at box office bingers. We'll post all the latest and breaking news over there first, and then we'll come back to the show and we'll talk about it. So with that, we're going to move over to a fun segment we like to call what you're watching. So Nesta, we'll start with you. What have you been watching? So we have finally finished Yellowstone. And mm-hmm. I think it ended at a great, it's a nice mid-season finale point. There's a lot of different things that are happening within the universe. A lot of characters are going off to different places. Um, I, I'm I'm in. You know, we've been all in since the beginning. I'm just so curious. Mm-hmm. Now I'm just so curious to see how it ends. And hopefully when the strike ends, we'll be able to get the last half of this, I guess, supposed to be final season before it turns into, I believe, the Yellowstone will end, and like there's talks of a spinoff show with possibly Matthew McConaughey coming on, which I'd totally mm-hmm. be on board for. So that being said, since we finally finished Yellowstone, we are now, we started Barry, the series finale of Barry, mm. and man, it is just a great, <clears throat> great dark comedy. Um, it, it's great that it's been so long since I've seen it, but they just... The story, they just able to captivate you right back in. They didn't even give us really an update, and I s- still felt like we weren't lost. So it was nice to not feel lost, not like having to watch any like a like a recap or anything, and to feel like I was miss like I'd been missing something. But it's a it's a great That's- show. It's so dark. I just love how dark it is, and Bill Hader is just 
incredible. He wrote, uh, I think we watched the first two episodes, which he wrote and directed, and they're, oh, they're wow. phenomenal. He's just a phenomenal actor. Like his comedic timing is incredible. I think he's so fun. I just think he's so funny, and he's just he does well in so many different settings. He kind of reminds me, and this mm-hmm. is a this is a huge this is like a big endorsement for him. Like, like he kind of reminds me of Jim Carrey. Like a little bit, not necessarily, maybe oh, well, not necessarily okay. the um, the impressions, or even still, he does do actually, actually he does do impressions, you know, from his time in Saturday Night Live and stuff like that. But uh, right. yeah, and we're back. Sorry, guys, we had to pause there for a minute. Uh, Matt, I believe you were saying something. Yeah, <laughs> yes, I was. Um, I was saying that it's nice. It's 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 a good feeling that when you restart a show that you haven't watched in a while, that you can like kind of pick it back up because I know there's and like and like not felt like you missed anything because I feel like there do a lot of shows that like, it's been a while being between seasons or when you kind of caught up with it and then all of a sudden you start and you're like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> like I don't remember a single thing. So and when a show can provide that level of like like insure like uh, um what's the word? I don't. It's not security, but like, you can tell it's it's a good written show, or at least maybe the the recap was good enough. We're like, oh, that's right, I remember all these beats, and then you know you can move forward and enjoy the newest season. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited to see how it ends, and then what I really like is that each episode is only about thirty minutes long, so it's gonna be so we're gonna yeah. probably burn through this series pretty quickly because I don't believe there's many episodes. Mm-hmm. So I'm here for it. And Matt, what yeah. else I have started is Secret Invasion. So this whole oh, time, okay. this whole time, I've been waiting for the family to watch it, trying to be a good father and a you know just a good person. <laughs> and then my son goes to me, "Oh, you can watch it without me. My friends at school said it wasn't that good, so you can go ahead and." It's like, <laughs> great, good to know. I'm so glad to know that I waited all this time. Like I feel feel so justified. Thank you so much. I'm so glad. Uh, <laughs> So I watched like I think I watched most of the pilot, most of the opening episode, and it's it's not bad. It's pretty good. It hasn't like yeah. fully hooked me in yet. There's some interesting things happening, but we'll see. I'm not the problem is is that I'm not like overly invested because of all the negative <laughs> reactions that have yeah. many people, including yourself, have had to it. So but it's it's kinda yep. be it's gonna be just one to kind of just put in the bank. Yeah, I mean, it, nothing's wrong with that. Like, you know, you look, you, you know what the consensus is. It's, it's rather negative, and now you can watch it and form your own opinion on it. That's 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 yeah. kind of what it is. Um, like 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 we said earlier in the show, we're not. I'm not. The, we never hear to turn anyone from watching yeah. anything. So I I because as far as like a Marvel fan, I'm gonna I'm gonna watch it regardless whether you tell me it's bad or not. Um, I'm already committed to the to like this universe and I've put a lot of time into it and I'm not going to stop now. And, and, and like, and, and risk could be like, man, I got to catch up with like 20 different shows now and movies like, Nope, that doesn't take me much to keep no. up with it. So I'm just yeah. I'm just going to, I'm already on the train guy. I, I got to just keep on going. Oh, and the only other thing yeah. that I've been watching, which I have been enjoying is the Zoe Saldana show Lioness on, um, on oh, Paramount yeah, Plus. You, you yeah. briefly talked about that last week. Um, yeah. It's great. I think it's just, it's another, Taylor Sheridan show, the you know, creator of Yellowstone. And yeah. I just think it's just the action is there. Like it's just it's just well put together. I mean Zoe Saldana is a she's a literal superstar. So like you got Nicole yeah. Kidman in there, Morgan Freeman's in it. Uh yeah, Freeman, it's, yeah. It's a it's a great show. So I highly I highly recommend giving it a watch. I'll kind of give you I'll be once I finish it, I'll be able to give you a give my full assessment after the full watch. 
Okay. Same thing with Secret Invasion. Are you are you interested in now that you kind of caught yourself up with Yellowstone? Are you going to be watching like the spinoffs that they came out with? Yes. Like uh, I think it's like. Eight. 1923 with Harrison Ford and Helen Mirren and something. There's another show I think as well. 1863 and 1928, some shit like that. Yeah, something like that. I don't have the um, internet on my fingertips (laughs) to 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 verify prequels. 1883 and 1923. Okay, so it's 1883 and 1923. Yes, we are 100% on board. But I told her, I said. Now that we finish Yellowstone, we, there's a lot of it's there's break. a lot of let's take a break because there's a lot of other shit that I want to catch that I want to you know catch up on yeah. like Barry like the Bear season two um I have and then yeah. of course you know I made the mistake of putting her on to Painkiller the Peter Berg joint that's on Netflix <laughs> so I've started that but I now have to pause and wait for her but which which you yeah. know what it's not and like oh but aren't you like People are like, well, aren't you a box office binger? Aren't you supposed to watch it as soon as it comes out? It's like, no, dummy. It's not going anywhere. <laughs> it's not fucking disappearing off the streaming service. It's going to stay there until it's not. Like, it's going to be there. It will be yeah. there when I eventually get to it. There's no rush. There's there is yeah. a sea of shit to watch out there. Like, I could watch something. I could start a show that came out 10 years ago. And guess what? That show will now be the priority. Because all the other shit's not yeah. going anywhere. It doesn't matter if you watch yeah. it first. You get to it when you fucking get to it. Yeah, I, I mean, hell, this this last last couple of weeks, I was watching Star Wars Rebels, a show that ended oh, five years ago. Also, so. also watching Star Wars Rebels, but that we're kind of um, we're there? like maybe three. It's gonna be a while because we're like once or twice a week. Okay. We're watching. It's almost like we're watching it live. Like every week, we'll watch like one or two mm. episodes. <laughs> Yeah, so okay. we like we'll come yeah. home like well we got like a little bit of time before bed and you know my son wants to you know like let's relax he's like well let's watch let's watch a little bit of Rebels before bed and that's what we'll do we'll lay down we'll watch Rebels and then he goes to sleep but it's kind of but it's kind of <laughs> become a thing here's another one like that's yeah. a show that we're can we could we're enjoying on our own time on our own schedule mm-hmm. but we're still watching it as if it's being released week to week if that makes sense like we're on like we're sure, not yeah, everyday yeah, like sense. we could go for the everyday binge but it's become a like a week to week watch when we have time during the week we'll get like one or two in and it's right. fun it's what you know it's what fills the time you know and that's going to be that's part of our weekly week to week schedule so we'll be able to continue that once and whenever we can and then once we finish rebels then we'll eventually watch Ahsoka and then i don't have to wait mm-hmm. for it to drop week to week i can just watch the whole thing watch, watch the whole thing yeah, at my yeah. own leisure and that's kind of like on the journey mm-hmm. at. like i do there's certain things every now and then a show will get me week to week but for the most part, I try to stay behind so that I don't have to wait. Yeah, and like, and I think in my head, as long, like, especially to avoid spoilers, I always felt like, especially like with the Star Wars and the Marvel shows, I don't necessarily need to start it right away. But in my head, I like to get there before the finale because I do feel like that I start getting spoilers when it comes to it. If you can avoid them, all power yeah. to you. But my my social media channels they're not they're not very generous when it comes to spoilers. So I know like now we're about we're getting the halfway point of Ahsoka, and so I need to start catching myself up, or else I'm I feel like I'm gonna get something's gonna get spoiled mm. for me more than what's already spoiled right now. But if you can avoid it and then you can get past like the hype around it, then at your own leisure go ahead and watch. The kind of like with Secret Invasion right now, it had its moment. You heard negative reactions about it. Like, no one's talking about it right now, and now you can probably watch it, and no one's, you know, with spoiler-free stuff, 
kind of, uh, you know, if whatever hasn't already been spoiled for you. If nothing, then great. Then no one's going to be talking about it, and you can watch it on your own mm. leisure. So, um, but, uh, yeah. but that's all I got. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I haven't been watching much, but going off of the Star Wars talk, um, I did watch Star Wars Tales of the Jedi, which is an animated anthology series that it's only about... It's only six episodes, and each episode is about, like, 15 minutes. It's kind of a series of like, shorts. Like Visions, and almost? <clears throat> kind of like Visions, exactly. But in this case, these are, like, story, like canon mm. stories um, that they put out. Like, from the you know people who do, like, Rebels and, and Clone Wars and the Bad Batch, they also did this as well. And so what I found interesting about this is that there were six episodes, three of which focus on different points of Ahsoka in her life, and then three of which focuses on... Uh, uh, Count Dooku at different points of his life. And I first watched the Ahsoka ones because I'm like, I feel like these are going to be more important for what I'm about to watch with Ahsoka. And I want to watch these in before I start Ahsoka. And so I watched those in the first episode was primarily about, you know, when she was an infant and how they basically learned that she was a Jedi. And then the second episode about her took place when she was already a Jedi and she was a Padawan to, um, um, Master Skywalker, uh, Anakin Skywalker, and she was going through these training procedures to make to, just to become a better Jedi. And then the last episode, you know, focused on her story after Order sixty six and after she left the Council Jedi, and kind of kind of highlighting what she was doing after the fact before she started joining uh, the Rebellion and those the kind of like in between years. So I'm like, okay, these are like good in between story fillers, stuff like that. And then I was a little bit reluctant to start you know, the Count Dooku stuff. I'm like, oh, I'll probably get to those, but I really want to focus on Ahsoka. But then I was like, ah, they're only 15 minutes. I'll just watch those real quick, and then I can start Ahsoka. Ernesto, when I tell you that I was blown away by the Count Dooku episodes really? was an understatement. I was like, oh, my God. I took this, like, eh, I'll get to it. I'll just watch it. Like, I was, like, passively watching it. It went from passively to be like, everyone shut the fuck up. <laughs> this is, this is like, like, one of, like, great... Star Wars content. I was like, holy shit. This is like hidden in in like this in the Star Wars lore of like no one ever talked about this. And I it took me completely by surprise. You have Count Dooku in his early years, not early years, but like he is he is Count Dooku's a master Jedi and his Padawan um was um Qui-Gon Jinn, who was played by uh, Liam Neeson. So when we meet Liam Neeson, he's he's already a master Jedi and Obi-Wan is his as apprentice but before that count dooku was his master and we get to see like an instance where we can see count dooku turning like kind of taking extra measures that maybe not the jedi council would not approve of so like you get a little bit of taste of that and then the next episode you watch him in it's like another instance where it's he's a little more aggressive and starts seeing that maybe the jedi ways is not the way that i want to be and maybe they're not doing it the right ways, and I kind of want to go in a different route. And obviously, we know that Count Dooku is end up being apprenticed to um, the Emperor in like the early stages of um, of like the the prequel trilogy. And we obviously we see him die at the Revenge of the Sith by Anakin Skywalker and his aggression, and that kind of what killed him. But there was one episode that it was only fifteen minutes long, and I swear to you, like again. Obi-Wan Kenobi, the series, in six episodes could not make me feel what I felt in those 15 minutes when I watched that episode with Count Dooku. And it was basically like his definitive, like, trans, like his turn from 
being a Jedi to being like an apprentice to the Sith Lord. Mm. And I was like, holy shit, that was incredible. And they they brought back a character. I don't know if you how deep you are into Star Wars, but there was a a female Yoda. It's like there's like basically she was like a female Yoda. Uh, so whatever species Yoda is, there was a female version of her in uh, Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. She was in the background. A lot of people just like, oh, there is a female version of Yoda in the background in the council, and there was no mention of her. I don't think she had any lines. And if if I remember correctly, she was not in two or three. She was just a background character. And Dave Filoni worked his magic and put that character on the forefront. And just blew me away. I was like, this is this right here is the magic of Star Wars that you get a background character, you give them a story, and then you enrich the history and the lore of Star Wars. And that's what I feel like that Filoni has been able to do with Clone Wars and with Rebels. And he's kind of doing what he's trying to do in live action, the same with The Mandalorian. But like, it just proves that this guy knows what he's doing and he understands the Star Wars universe. And he's just telling great stories after great stories. So leading into that, I was like, that was the last thing I watched before starting Ahsoka. And I was like, here we go. I am ready for whatever this guy mm-hmm. has to do. Um, and I watched the first episode of Ahsoka. I want to I want to be caught up by this point, but, you know, life happens. But I watched the first episode and it was fine. Nothing like I don't have anything to rave about it. I know uh some people are at like mixed reviews on certain things with the show, but I think as of right now, it's overall, it's pretty positive. I know something happened in episode four that, that has not yet been spoiled for me. Thank God. Um, so, so that's going to be something I look forward to, but as far as the first episode is concerned, it's pretty solid. Like, I think we're just getting the groundwork in. It's a little bit slow. Um, we're trying to see how these live action versions of the characters from rebels kind of adjust to, you know, how the actors are kind of taking on the role and how we've perceived that those characters uh, so long in Rebels. So, yeah, I look forward to continuing it. What I do find interesting is that Disney has decided to, in certain areas, put Ahsoka Episode 5 in theaters for people to watch. And I really? find that, yeah, and I find that, so I checked, it's not in the Orlando area, unfortunately. So you can't go watch Ahsoka episode five here in Orlando. And by the time this episode drops and you guys are listening to it, episode five would most likely already be released. Mm. Um, but people were able to watch it, or I guess are able to, going to be able to watch it in the theaters, uh, either as it drops on Disney Plus or before. I really don't know. But in my head, if you're singling out one particular episode to air in theaters, what the hell is happening in that episode that warrants a big theater experience yeah. you know what i mean it better be so, am- it better be incredible it better b- like break disney plus <laughs> yeah <laughs> like and now because now that gets me nervous because i'm not caught up and i feel like whatever happens in episode five is just gonna spoil uh it's gonna get spoiled very quickly and then i'm like shit i really wish i saw that live it's a good possibility um, but yeah i know so hopefully the the people of the internet it will be nice and they won't uh you know <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why are you being so hopeful when you know that they're not yeah. going to. <laughs> uh, but I am like I feel like I've been doing a lot of build up for it, so I am excited to continue watching the series after you know watching Tales of the Jedi and after watching Rebels and all that stuff. 
Um, but yeah, but aside from Star Wars, the last thing I watched, Megan and I watched a documentary called Glitch, The Rise and Fall of HQ Trivia. Do you remember HQ Trivia at all? Yeah, you know wasn't it wasn't it like a daily game show thing where you like win a bunch of money, you would answer some questions? Yep, yep, that's exactly what it is. And it's funny because like uh Megan had didn't remember this at all. She she kind of sees it as like this never happened in my life. This thing doesn't it never existed. Um and she doesn't remember it at all and it just kind of came and went. Uh, but the documentary is very well put together and kind of just showcasing the rise, the the very quick rise and the very quick fall of this um, kind of this mania that happened for like a, a solid like six months. And then it was never as popular as it once was um, in its heyday. But like I think like late 2017, maybe early 2018 or so is when it really got popular and then it had a couple of issues um and then a lot of stuff behind the scenes just you know was not great and kind of leaned to its uh demise but yeah i just found out a very interesting documentary it's on max if anyone's interested okay um and that's pretty much it that's kind of all i've been watching uh so with that we're going to be diving into our spoiler review of they clone tyrone a movie you can currently stream on netflix and a movie that kind of got on my radar it's like something a movie that i wanted to see um originally but really got on my radar after we were watching brandon uh had not a guest of the podcast kind of blowing it up and was like everyone used to he was raving about it so i was like that that really got on my radar at that point but with that ernesto your thoughts on they clone tyrone um i have to say i really really enjoyed this movie like i i didn't think like at first it was kind of like it's got like this 70s like thrill action comedy like sci-fi vibe to it like especially like the like the very grainy footage it reminds me of that movie that sci-fi movie we saw on prime a couple years ago um you know what i'm talking about you remember uh, there was a lot of movies we saw on we prime. watched it we watched it with um it was like, i think it was the first time we had estevan on oh um uh yeah i know what you're talking about um something by night uh damn something uh, that's gonna be a hard one to try to find amazon prime movie at night or just go down the episodes and eventually find the it vast of night was uh, it the vast of night the vast of night the vast of yes night. that's it yes the vast um, of night yeah. so kind of just like the way i think not necessarily the vibe well i mean the sci-fi vibe is there but i think more mm-hmm. of like how it was sh- the cinematography kind of reminded me of that but like like old school like grainy like kind of cheesy like like uh black action movies like that's what it kind of yes. reminded me of like you got the pimp and the hoe and the drug dealer taking down the man like i don't know <laughs> yeah that's pretty much what it right? was that's that, that's that's you it. know they uncover they uncover this conspiracy of what's happening beneath their society and it like what they're doing to keep down the black community and i mean it worked i thought it was really funny like it had a lot of a lot of crazy parts um i don't know what do, what do you think matt uh, I, I I also enjoyed it. I didn't know what to expect at first. Yeah. It was a, kind of like one of those movies where I knew it was coming out. I knew it starred John Boyega and Jamie Foxx. And, like, I like those two actors. Um, uh, what was What's her name? Um, Tiana Parrish. Mm-hmm. I know her from uh, as Monica Rambeau in WandaVision. And That's so right. I'm like, okay, these are from I she's familiar. These are familiar. Act- obviously, Keith Sutherland as well. Mm-hmm. Um, um, 
And so I was like, okay, I know these actors. This looks interesting. It's on Netflix. It has I already had my interest. And honestly, it, it, I, I typically go on the route, like, I'll, I'll watch the trailer um, at that point. But I think by the time the movie came out, and this was also, the, if I'm not mistaken, this was also the same weekend that um, Barbie and Oppenheimer came mm. out. Uh, yep, July 21st. Yeah, same weekend as Barbie and Oppenheimer. So our focus was on other movies. And this one kind of just slipped right into Netflix, you know, you know, no one's business. Like, hey, we're just, hey, I know you guys are going to the theaters, but we also have this movie here that's releasing on this day yeah. as well. And so, so with that, it kind of just like, because of all the news surrounding Barbenheimer, this one kind of got felt to the wayside. Uh, but it's a movie that I knew that I wanted to revisit at some point. It's like, it's on the list. Uh, the, the notorious phrase is on the list. And then all of a sudden I saw Brandon kind of really raving about this movie. It's like, you guys got to watch it for all these reasons. And so I was like, okay, so now it's on my radar. And then when we talked about what we're going to review after the summer season was over, this one came on the top of the list, uh, primarily because of his kind of recommendation. And so with that, I decided not even to give a shot of the trailer. So I didn't even know the vibe I was walking into. Same. I just know, I just, just based on the title, they clone Tyrone. That's the only thing that I alluded to was like, this is probably a sci-fi movie mm. because he used, used cloned in the, in the title. That's all I kind of proceeded on. So at the beginning, I was a little bit like, is what, what movie is this? Like, I don't like, I think I was a little bit unsure of what I was watching at the beginning because there is no hint of any sci-fi elements in it. Um, but as we progressed in the movie, we were kind of slowly getting to that realization that not everything that we see is necessarily, you know, we should believe in showcase, or this is definitely a different movie that we are watching after the first 20 minutes. Um, and then I thought we were getting like a groundhog day situation because after, um, yeah, uh, Fontaine, Mm -hmm. after he died, played by John Boyega, after he originally died, I was like, oh, okay, so. They and, and then it was weird. It's like they keep calling him Fontaine. I'm assuming he's Tyrone, right? <laughs> uh, but maybe not. I don't know. Um, and so, but they keep calling him that. He died. I'm assuming he's going to come back as a clone, as the title suggests. And so, at that point, I'm like, okay. But then again, I thought we we're getting a Groundhog Day situation. I think they did that on purpose yeah. to kind of throw us off guard of what this movie is kind of doing. Um, and then all of a sudden, I would say about 30 minutes in, it started showing its, you know lack of a better term, true colors uh, in the sense of what this movie is about. And I think once I was able to pick up on what they were putting down, I was able to enjoy this movie a lot more. And I feel like I just want to verify when this movie came out. Okay, so it's just about this is this is the next evolution of what Get Out was. I did have some like, Get I, Out vibes to it. Yes, I agree. Yeah, I feel like what what Get Out did on a horror standpoint is what they cloned Tyrone did for a mystery. Like, I that's the vibe that I was getting with it. Like, Get Out was more of like a, a horror drama thriller. This was more of a com like they cloned Tyrone is more of a comedy. Uh, mystery thriller and it was definitely more entertaining as far as like comedy wise like 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 jamie fox and um <laughs> and um tiana paris um t- thank you tiana paris were just cracking jokes left and right yeah they, and the like, trio of them played i felt like the trio of them played off really really well together and i also really enjoyed like john boyega's performance i think he did really well having to play 
like so many different multiple roles and not even like multiple similar roles. Like they were all have, they all varied in personalities and how they carried themselves. So it's, he has, he had to put many different hats on to achieve this movie. And just like the whole aspect of like finding out you're, you're a clone. And like, there was that whole sequence of him, like trying to reassimilate to life. Like after they basically right. said, you have no control, which was a fucking badass scene when they're all in the yeah. street and Kiefer Sutherland come out and he's just like Olympia black. He's like, put the gun in your mouth, drop the hammer back. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, Oh shit. Like, can you imagine like somebody just contr- like having so much control over you? Like you're literally standing yeah. in the face of somebody who's, who's like words away from speaking your death, like, or you killing somebody else. Like I, like, like, what do you, how do you, how do you move on through life? And I think the film right. did a good job of kind of like exploring that aspect and showing that there will, like, I love that even though he found out he was a human, he still managed to like find the willpower to be a human and like, like push through his own will, like to still seek out what he wanted, even though he knew that he was being completely controlled by these people and like he had no control right. over them. And then who knows how many how many versions of I mean we know that there's a multitude of clones that were out so like what version of this is you know Fontaine like John Boyega like what version are we seeing right now True. we don't know how many versions of him died and the same goes for Jamie Foxx and um, God damn it I keep forgetting Tiana Parrish um, but remember she wasn't a, but we Parrish. found out she was the only one that wasn't a clone because they were able to control yes. Jamie Foxx but they weren't able to control her. Yes, yeah, so there were like yeah, to your good point. There were some people that were clones, other people they were trying to keep at bay, and they did so by putting this this white powder uh, of of this sort of control into products that the black that that black people were notorious and stereotypically known to to like consume. Yeah. So therefore, the fried chicken, it was the, the perm cream, fried chicken. Yeah, grape drink, uh, perm cream, like stereotypically the church. These were, you know, the. And was it was the, it about yes, the, the uh, because it was David Allen Greer who played the pastor? Um, but what is it? Mm-hmm. Is it about was it just the way he spoke that hypnotized him? I think is what I saw. Like his his I sermon think, is think, what's hypnotized him, right? Yeah, I think it was it was a mix between the grape. Oh, drink, that's right. Which, that's which right, I think that's right, that's right. It, it it was a mixture between like what he was saying as well as you know the the grape drink was kind of like i think the the drink in this case the the white powder that was infused in the drink was keeping everybody at bay kind of calming them down but then being open to whatever was being preached to them mm. in this case he was preaching obedience mm. so there was that if you were listening to some of the music in the movie which i think this is a huge highlight and if you weren't paying attention, you might have missed it. But a lot of the lyrics in the movie was a lot of mind control mm-hmm. music. Either it was using it from popular pop songs, like you know we see Michael Jackson as one of the artists that they use in the in the movie, or in within the original music they made for the movie, it was a lot of, um, or used songs from actual like you know 80s or 90s or whatever the case may be. I'm not, it, it was really hard to pinpoint what time period this was, but I think that was on purpose. And, uh, and so, yeah, so they were using music heavily to also kind of mind control these people. And they were using clones to be like the leaders of this society in a way to kind of keep everybody at bay. But it's just, I mean, ultimately it's, it's a huge satire on racism and, 
how the you know the man trying to keep the black community down like through pretty much like but it was an interesting it was an interesting aspect where they lay on the fact that they're using pimps and drug dealers like using these specific people to try to keep the community from rising up and he goes you know we want it this way because if we wanted we could have three starbucks in here by tuesday it's like like right. you know really speaking to gentrification and you know or even in you know in disaster areas where people once people get hit when areas get hit with tragedy these companies or rich investors buy up the land and gentrify the area you know and that's just kind of calling out to that but it even took it a step further so like that scene with uh Kiefer Sutherland he like kind of outlined the reason why this is happening. But then when we go deeper into the movie, we realize we meet the, the real Fontaine, an older version of the character. So the actual human. And we, we see that he's a scientist. And he was like, well, the reason why we're even doing all of this, because we're conducting experiment, experiments on multiple black communities across the country. Mm-hmm. And that experiment is that we eventually want to turn all black people into white people. And it's like, wow, okay, so you're not only purposely creating these communities, but you're also then with a purpose of we just want to get rid of all black people and turn them into white yeah. people. And and we see hints of that in the early stages of the movie where we see the first thing we see is a scientist and is like a white guy with an afro. Yes. And and then we later find out that's like the hair, the hair is the hardest thing to kind of bring down or like kind of like make it look normal and then we also see the white manager at the chicken restaurant the fried chicken restaurant he he also had an afro so wasn't like, it the same i, I thought it was the same the, guy i thought it was too but i i was i was looking at like behind the scenes videos as far as like uh, and also further explaining videos on the thing and they're saying that there were two different people oh, okay so i was like okay i can i can see that or not i mean i can also take that as their clones but sure they could be the same they could be different at this point it really doesn't matter um but it's just interesting to see how far in the process that they were in. And I think that's the part of like why they were that. I think that was the role of like how far in the process they were in. Like they were close, but there weren't, there were still many experience that need to be conducted. And then for the people who were not obeying, they were kind of putting them underground, going through like a clockwork, a clock, clockwork, clockwork orange. orange. Yeah. Um, type of scenario and their mind control using them as again experience in the music they're playing like hardcore rap music and then bringing it into like we need a hug and that so that's a form of mind control um but yeah i think where this movie ended up and and how it got there was really refreshing to see yeah so like, original it's it, it's it, it's very original with a message like it's a clear message of what they're saying and what they're trying to do and i feel like once we got there i was able to lean into that more as like okay like this is this is like there's a lot going on here um a, definitely a movie that warrants a repeat viewing on it okay. as well to kind of catch what you kind of missed before um but yeah what what do you think of that like the twist or i guess the both twist like did you see that coming or, or what i really didn't see that coming but i knew that like something like i was expecting something but it was nice to not be able to guess it 100 percent. i guess is the it's the best way it's yeah. the best way to put it um, but no, I, I mean, I thought it worked out. Re- I thought it worked out really well. The, 
like just the way the movie was laid out um all the performances i particularly liked this this is probably one of the strongest performances i've seen from john boyega i mean as far from star wars mm. even in the woman king he had yeah. a very minor role but a very pronounced role yeah. where i feel like this movie like we really got to see him like air himself out especially with playing multiple roles and having and there was just so many complexities to the fontaine character that he had to kind of show us and i felt like he did a fantastic job doing that like to me this is a clear clear strong performance for uh john boyega yeah and even even going back to the fontaine character like you just mentioned like we also got to see some backstory of why the human version of fontaine and the older version of him wanted to even do this in the process and it's like almost like why are you turning your back on your people and conducting these experiences and it's because that he lost his younger brother, I think Ronnie, mm -hmm. to what we believe is like a white police officer. And like he got shot down. And if they really wanted to, they could have uh, they said he was bleeding for 15 minutes. If they actually took care of him, he, they could have saved his life. But because they left him on the street, he bled out and then he died. And then I guess in his eyes is like, well, if I can turn all black people into white people, then this will not happen again. Yeah. So like in his in his case he was saving his people by changing his people. And I was like, well, that's one way to look at it, but completely the wrong way. Yeah, I don't <laughs> I don't know if that's what they meant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> um so I think that's an interesting like take on what the message was. And again, I think it's very similar to the sense of get out where we had rich white people infusing their brains into healthy black people because of i forgot the exact reason why they wanted to do that but it was some weird messed up reason i think so they can live longer or something and like with the right genes i don't know i'd have to rewatch it i don't remember yeah, oh we were trying to transfer uh, he was going to be transferred into the consciousness of somebody uh, <sighs> i don't remember yes it, yeah like he like he would lose control of his body and the mental state of some rich white guy would be into his body and he would just be a passenger of his own body. Yeah. Um, and so that was like the sense of it. And I don't know the overall reason of why they were doing that. I know there was something there, but I feel like that this I, I feel like there's a lot of similarities there of Get Out and They Clone Tyrone. So I feel like that They Clone uh, like. They clone Tyrone was inspired by Get Out. I feel like that's a clear inspiration. I could be wrong by saying. Oh, that, but I but felt the same way. I, just... I did feel the same way when I was when I was watching as well. Mm -hmm. um, and there's also like again, there's a lot of interesting moments in there. Um, I do find it interesting they never really disclose where they were or what time period that they were in, and I feel like that's also interesting. We saw them like like they had like beeper stores in the background and flip phones, but yet they were making references to like Obama was president, but their outfits make it seem like they were like in the 1970s. So it's kind of unclear where they were at the very end, though. And I feel like this is like the comedic sting of the movie, and kind of relating to the title is that everything is fine. They they are with to you know kill the people in charge all the clones were rising up from underground and kind of maybe being formed to society at this point and then we cut to a, a john boyega a different version of Don, john boyega which appears to be looks like he's in la and then he's going to the same motions we've seen in the beginning of the movie and then uh he's watching tv and he's seeing that you know we're assuming it's the glenn that is yeah. uh that he's seeing on tv and then he sees someone that looks like him and then his buddy next to him said like ain't what, what did he say he said um 
He's like, ain't that you, Tyrone? And then the movie just ended. It's like, they call and Tyrone. I, and I think that's like, a... oh, is this movie a prequel? Are they going to make more? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's an interesting way of looking at it. It's like, do you want to expand on it? But I think that's just a funny sting. Like, I don't think not all movies need to have a sequel. And I feel like this is a good example of like, this is just good on its own. We don't need to kind of potentially ruin it but, or, or expanding on it. Like, a sequels are hit or miss. Like, you can either do a really good job in expanding the universe or you could tarnish what made the original so good. Um, it's hard to really tell, but for a movie as a standalone, I think that was a really funny way to kind of sting the movie as well as um, kind of bring it back to the title. It's like, oh, we never really followed Tyrone. It's just a guy sitting on his couch. Yeah, it just ended <laughs> It just ended with him, so it just made sense. Hey, Tyrone, they clone you. <laughs> yeah, hey, man, look, look what happened there. Um, but yeah, so I found that very interesting. Um, the the director of the movie cameoed the last, like he was the one who said the last line. He said, ain't that you Tyrone? That was the director of the movie. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, okay. Um, So that's kind of a fun little Easter egg there. Um, The film was chosen as part of the 2019 blacklist, an annual uh, compendium of the most liked unproduced scripts that have, that has included well, this I, I copied and pasted this, and this doesn't make any sense to me. Basically, the the film was chosen from the 2019 blacklist, which is notorious for like popular unproduced scripts. So, like, there's like a whole list of like unproduced scripts that apparently are sitting with gold. Uh, some of those movies that were sitting in the blacklist were Oscar winners like Juno, Argo, and Jojo Rabbit. Interesting. So, so this is just another one of those movies that were sitting in that, and someone probably read it picked it up said this is a great idea and then they were able to produce it um and kind of make it out and i'm glad they did because again this isn't originally like a fresh idea a movies we don't really see anymore a movie that's still like it's still lingering in my head it's it's, it's there's a lot of questions that i don't understand and it kind of warrants a second viewing mm, that's how you know it's good though it's see like, but that's how you know it's yeah. really good if it if it's making you think about it after you've already watched it then it's good then it's then there's some there's something more there that's there you know Mm, absolutely and i think i like uh i was also reading um that gerald taylor described his film as a bootleg scooby-doo and i think that's a great like really short explanation of what this movie is like if you don't know if you don't know anything it's a bootleg scooby but they even they even mention it they they call out a few things in the movie like they talk about nancy drew they talk about um they also mentioned hollow man which hollow man was more of like a horror thriller than it really was it really was a mystery like it was kind of like find the killer there was what was the other one that they kept there was something else that they kept referencing and i can't it's it's lost on me um I mean, they, they reference a lot of pop culture in this movie. So, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's probably all right that we don't remember all yeah. of them. But, again, more more the reason to go rewatch it again. Um, but also, like I kind of mentioned before, this movie is really funny. I think there was an elevator scene that felt very improvised where they were, like, going down the elevator and John Boyega is, like, like, staying, like staring face forward, straight face. And then you have um, Jamie Foxx starting a song. And then um, Tiana Parrish kind of kind of picking it up and they're just having like this little sing-along in the elevator and i thought that was just really funny it was really random but it was funny and i did look into it um it it was a moment that was written in the script but each take was very much improvised on how they were doing it so at least it was nice that they were able to have some liberties 
on like this is what we want to happen, but you have creative freedom of how scene to transpire. Mm. Apparently, there's a bunch of them. I just found this. So this is from Screen Rant. It's loading. It talks about they clone Tyrone's thirteen black exploitation sci-fi and music Easter eggs and references. So let's see. They talk Shalimar in They Clone Tyrone. Yo-Yo is a sex worker who first talks about giving a Shalimar to a client who cannot afford her other costlier services after named after Hollywood actors. She later mentioned Shalimar while convincing goddamn fried chicken fries manager to give her the secret recipe for the chicken. <laughs> Shalimar here refers to an American R&B soul music band primarily active in the 70s and 80s since Yo-Yo creative since Yo-Yo creatively names her services after pop culture fixtures. She seemingly names one after R&B group as well. Okay, what else? Hollow Man, we mentioned. Um, yep. Training Day or Book of Eli. Yeah, I do remember that. Oh, reference. that was gr- But you know what? I love that yeah. part. I freaking love that part yes. of the movie. He's like, how was my performance? De- oh, you Denzel. Oh, was it Book of Eli or Training Day? It's like, Book of Eli. It's like, run it again. Run it again. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I get. I feel like like we kind of mentioned last week, I was talking about Abbott Elementary, and you, you I was explaining the scene from Al- Abbott Elementary, and you're like, that joke is for you. Like, that joke was made for you. In that particular case, that joke was made for us, the movie fans who have seen training day and book of eli and know the two distinct performances from denzel and yeah that was a, that was a really funny line although i really like although side note i really like book of both. eli is a great movie <laughs> like yeah i like book of, i like both um i, like I named both. my son eli because of the book of because of that movie that's how much we like that movie yes really my son elijah wow. is named from us really liking that movie that's where we got the name eli side note either way Oh, uh, so number yeah. 10 black dynamite they clone tyrone's make character fontaine drinks anaconda malt liquor in many scenes in the closing arc his clone get out of your stupid ad stupid ads <laughs> uh let's see uh, he walks past a wall with posters of the same liquor brand this is a di- direct nod to the fictional malt liquor brand from black dynamite Another sac- satirical black exploitation. Fo- that is the perfect explanation, and maybe we just didn't know what it's called. It's a satirical black exploitation yeah, film. That's exactly what this movie is, revolving yes. around a nefarious comp- conspiracy against black people. While this reference does not necessarily confirm the two movies unfold in the same universe, it affirms that Anaconda Malt Liquor was another product that the government used in the Clone Tyrone to control the Glen residents. That was a good one. Clockwork Orange we talked about as well. Um, ah, when uh, Fontaine and Slick first learn of the nefarious activities in the underground lab, Slick says they're clockwork oranging their people. They clone Tyrone also emulates the iconic theater scene from Stanley Kubrick's Clockwork Orange by showing how a black woman is forced to watch manipulative imagery with her eyes. So I, it, that would, they, they did show that scene down down um mm-hmm. down in the lab where she had her eyes pinned open uh, and she's being yep. forced to watch stuff using metal clips the scene highlights yep. how they clone tyrone borrow several ideas and themes from clockwork orange with a primary with the primary difference being that clockwork orange clockwork orange protagonist is willingly surrenders to a government experiment while they clone they clone tyrone forces their characters into it uh x-files I didn't clash the X-Files one. Yo-Yo drops a reference to X-Files. 
set out to investigate Fontaine's death the previous night. This reference hints to that's, that's kind of vague. This reference hints yeah. that although Yo-Yo Fontaine are stuck unaware what they're about to uncover, they're on their way to find the secrets uh, falling outside the realm of conventional investigation, like Mulder and Scully. Okay, unearth many government uh, cover-ups and X-Files. That's a that's a that one's a little that one's a little bit of a reach, but. Yeah, it's a, but also, like, X-Files is all about mystery. So, like, sure, we can assume as much as this movie... Yeah, Nancy Drew and Scooby-Doo. Like, yeah, number seven. The same, but, and that, same those were direct, direct call-outs. Same thing. It being yeah, a mystery. Same thing. Um, being a fiction. Michael, Michael... Yeah. Oh, the Michael Jackson we talked about with the movie, the opening scene. Man claims he saw Michael Jackson while his friends refused to believe him. He seems sure he saw the late pop star in the fresh in the flesh. This Michael Jackson Jackson reference sets the stage for the movie's action as it foreshadows how the government is cloning black people. And although the man from the opening scene might have seen someone else who merely looked like the king of pop, there are people in the Glen like Slick and Fontaine who have returned from the dead many a time. Yeah, sure. Well, no- not only was it referencing like maybe seeing people from the dead, but also Michael Jackson was black and he forced him, you know, kind of went through a surgical procedure to make himself white to be more appeasing to society. So I think that was also a reference to that as well and kind of foreshadowing um, what the events of the movie was going to do. Okay. And then they go on to talk. They talk about the Bernstein Bears. Yo-Yo claims the ground conspiracy. Yes. I didn't get I didn't get I heard him say it, but I didn't understand it. Example to confirm. Yeah, this is the like the Mandela effect. He seems to be referring to the conspiracy surrounding the title of the TV show, The Bernstein Bears, which has been a subject at debate for several several years. While some recall the show's spelling as Bernstein Bears, others clearly remember Bernstein Bears. This confusion surrounding its spelling has given birth to theories suggesting the existence of alternate universes where both spellings exist. This reference is interesting, given how the clone Tyrone seems to unfold in an alternate timeline where crypto and blockchain exist, but the people of Glenn still walk around with flip phones. Even their mm-hmm. pop culture references are from a myriad of eras, and while their dressing and styles and heritage do not conform to any particular time period, while the Bernstein Bears reference could be just a throwaway gag, it could be a subtle hint for the clone Tyrone setting and timeline. I'll give them that one. Um, yeah. Let's see, Erica Badu, number four, Erica Badu's Tyrone. Erica Badu explained in an interview that her original song, Tyrone, which was at the end roll during the end credits, had nothing to do with the Netflix mm-hmm. movie and around, around, revolved around her lampooning a conversation between her aunts. However, she changed her original Tyrone to Who Cloned Tyrone and even altered its lyrics to make it more suitable for the movie's overarching themes. Her song played oh. towards the film's closing, so then she did. So she lied. <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> uh, a Christmas. Carol. Well, it looks like that. It looks like that she had her song originally, and then made her, they asked made a then, version for the movie because they maybe? were. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, let's see. A Christmas Carol. Slick Charles has a Scrooge moment in the Clone Tyrone when he sees Fontaine return from the dead. When he finds Fontaine knocking at the door, he after watches him die. Slick panics. It, instantly assumes that he is the ghost of Christmas past. Uh, as, that was a throwaway gag. That doesn't necessarily... I don't think that refers to anything. Juveniles back yeah. that thing up. Okay. And their pursuit <laughs> to solve the mysteries in, in the Glenn's mysteries in the clone Tyrone, Yo-Yo Fontaine and Slick visit a local church where the mass begins with a regular gospel book 
but gradually picks up the pace into a beat from Juvenile's Back That Thing Up. The scene is hilarious because the hinted song is inappropriate for a church setting. At the same time, it's also dark in the sense that it foreshadows how music is being used as a medium to control the masses and even the preacher at at the even the preacher at the church is a pre-programmed clone. Okay. Sure. Wizard of Oz, number one. Uh, Wizard of Oz, a homeless man who seems to be the only one aware of the Glen's inner workings, says off to see the wizard again to Tyrone in an initial scene where Tyrone gets slightly suspicious about his neighborhood. The Wizard of Oz nod is interesting because they clone Tyrone seems to share many parallels with the classic stories. In many ways, Yo-Yo Slick and Fontaine represent Dorothy, Scarecrow, and the Tin Man. Sure. As they set out the sure. metaphorical Emerald City of their neighborhood, yeah, that's a reach. However, they finally find the wizard who pulls the strings. They realize he is not as powerful and benevolent as imagined. In the end, like Dorothy, Scarecrow, and Tin Man, they clone Tyrone's central trio realizes that their journey towards finding the Glen's truth was more about discovering their own strength and virtues. As a, as a result, they stop letting the external environment hold them back and set out to leave their neighborhood, and they clone Tyrone's ending moments. That, that I can, that I, I agree with that one. Sure. Um, but yeah, and also I going back to that character, I think his name was Fog, a uh, frog mm. who uh, who said, like, uh, you're a long way from home. Obviously, again, making the Wizard of Oz reference. He also was making a lot of claims throughout the movie, one of which was like, you smell like a new car um, or something along those lines when they put out another clone of Tyrone into the neighborhood. And then they uh, then Jamie Foxx trapped him and like wrapped him around. So like, and right now, as of this moment, he's probably still trapped somewhere. That that particular clone is probably still wrapped up somewhere <laughs> in uh in someone's apartment. But yeah, when he came out, he's like, he smelled like a new car, young blood, or something along those lines. And um, yeah, I thought again, like he he knows that what's happening. Um, I was watching an explained video, and they were saying that um, they made a reference to when uh, uh, Tanisha Parrish was captured. And they said that they were going to test a new product on her. Um, again, a great scene. It was an instant callback to when Jamie Foxx accused her for uh, wearing a wig. And she said no. <laughs> and then the, it was a great callback to when they were applying the pre uh, the perm cream 2.0 to her hair to try to mind control her. And then they were doing it on the wig. And uh, a great moment for her character. And then kind of like besting them and got, be able to escape from that. And... Um, uh, but the Keith Sutherland, he explained to her that we're testing out a new product on you. And so be sure to, you know, it could be since it's a brand new product, the 2.0, they don't know what the side effects are. And so they're saying they could damage, you know, her mental state. And therefore, you know, she was just another person that they're trying the experiment on. Well, a theory was that for the frog character, so the guy, the old man outside the convenience store was saying that maybe they had tested one of their newer products on him and he became defective. Um, and they just kind of put him out in society, not really getting rid of him, but just adding to the community. Mm. So, like, in a sense that he knew what was going on, but no one really believed him. Yeah. Like, this guy, this old man just creating nonsense and, uh, like, just spewing out nonsense and, like, no one's going to take him seriously. So, I thought that was an interesting theory they had put on him. Yeah, I can, um, I can see that. But with the, yeah. But with all that, your final thoughts, Ernesto? Um, kind of what I've been saying. I really enjoyed the themes of this movie. I think it's great. I think it could eventually warrant uh, a rewatch. I think there's a lot of great themes that this movie has. Um, 
and it, it was kind of interesting kind of what we just did to kind of explore all the different like you know all the little easter eggs that they put within the film um it was it was great i loved john boyega's performance i thought the score played really well with the film and just all the themes that they were trying to hit i felt like they hit them effectively it just really showcases that that this movie had great writing it was just a lot of great writing in this movie yeah, I, I 100% second that. I think the writing in this movie, the attention to detail, the all the Easter eggs they put into it, you can tell that this story was treated with care and they really wanted to make something original and fresh. And that is 100% shown in the writing of this movie. And then to further give this movie more credit, it's like then the direction was great, then the actors kind of uh, made it great. And so like a lot that was working for this movie and ended up really working really well. Um, and it'd be turning out to be a great, a great film, almost like the the inspiration that you know Get Out was able to provide. And then we have they clone Tyrone, and also just showcasing of how much we need more stories like this. Mm. Like it, this was a great original take on the you know on black society and how the government keeps bringing them down. And this was an entertaining way of kind of exploring all that. And they kind of took it in a more comedic way than Get Out did, um, but it was still entertaining to watch once you were able to get yourself into what was going on in this movie. And so then now going back and rewatching it, I'm able to start the movie with that mindset um, instead of like kind of re kind of discovering what this movie is about. There was also a heartbreaking scene that uh, with John Boyega and he's like at the beginning of his day or maybe in the middle of his day, he's kind of like checking in on his mom mm. and oh, he was yeah. like, Hey, like, and like, Hey, you doing all right? He's like, it's okay. You know, you know I'm, I'm good. I'm just watching my stories. And then, he started getting suspicion about it, and then he opens the door, and it's just a speaker, and you can just tell that he just, like... It broke him. He broke down. Yeah. It broke him. It's like, I don't have a mother. Like, all of this is a lie. It was a great scene. Uh, it, was, it was a great scene. And kind of complimenting to your point, like, his acting ability throughout this movie, playing multiple roles and doing it very well. Um, yeah, I feel like that because of everything that was happening this summer season, this movie kind of just fell short on the wayside and didn't get a lot of eyes on it. So hopefully now that with the blockbuster season kind of winding down, more people will be going to streaming services to see what movies to watch. And this one can be on their radar. And hopefully by us talking about it, we can, you know, maybe convince a few other people to kind of give it a shot because it is um, it was it was a great movie. It was again, it was really refreshing to see what they were able to do uh, with the story. And again, uh, like to your point, the writing was definitely the strongest part about this movie. Like, the fact that you're able to like, have the story go in different directions and even have an ending that's kind of open-ended like we don't really know what comes about all of this like can clones you know operate outside of, like they want to move to memphis and like start get out of their community and start like start having better lives for themselves it's like can clones do that is that type of is that the type of story we want to tell of how these clones are acclimating in society who knows so i think the possibilities are endless on if they want to expand the story what they can do on but at the same time, for a movie as a whole, for this one individual movie, it was great for what it was. And so hopefully it gets some recognition out there. Maybe more eyes are on it. Um, it's kind of hard to tell in how this movie will kind of sit in the, you know, in the in the, in the, in the, the this entertainment industry as far as like, will more like, will it get popular at the end of the day? Or this is kind of kind of it like this is a movie and you can just call this a hidden gem. It's a hidden gem of a movie. I'm kind of I'm kind of okay with that. Although I'd like to see it get some due. Um, at least a call yeah. out for its writing and for certain awards. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you 100. 
But yeah, I, I, I'm glad we, we took the time to watch this movie because it was definitely one that was kind of keeping me on my toes a little bit. Like I just really didn't know where it was going. And so when a movie can do that in an entertaining way, you have my attention. Mm. Like you, you, and then also it's like, there's just so many, so many great moments in this movie that definitely warrant a rewatch. But, but yeah, there you go. There you go. That's our spoiler review on They Clone Tyrone, available to stream on Netflix. We definitely recommend going and watch that movie. If you're looking for something a little bit different, than what you normally are used to, especially for the big franchises. Like this is a, a great original refreshing story that has a message at the end of it. And it's a very strong message as well, no matter how you know funny it may be. There's a strong message there. Um, uh, but that's it. That's all the show we have for you guys this week. Ernesto, tell our lovely listeners what they can look forward to next week. Next week, we're getting back. Now that the summer season is over, we're getting back into our foreign film. So we are going to be reviewing the Netflix film Troll. Did we ever? It came out in 2022. Um, let's see. Where is this movie coming? It's, I think it's a Norwegian film. Let's see. Um, yes, it is. It is about a Norwegian, about a Norwegian troll in the mountains that's we're gonna see what it's all about. It actually looks. It looks. It actually looks pretty interesting. It's got a cool. It's, it's got a cool poster to it. Um, I think it'll be fun. You know, we haven't been able to do uh, a foreign film in quite some time, so I'm I'm looking forward to this one. And it's only a hundred minutes, so it's like a little bit over an hour and a half. You know, that, quick that's watch. A quick, that's a that's a quick and easy watch. You can knock that out. Quick and yeah. easy watch. I I feel like this is like maybe like the Norwegian version of godzilla i don't know who knows it, like the premise sounds interesting enough or maybe we can have fun on this on this maybe silly concept i don't know a but this, this uh, po- we're looking at the poster right here in wikipedia it's a uh, it looks very ominous it's like these two people climb, very true. climbing a mountain and there's this face that's growling as he's climbing as they're climbing his cheek <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> so who knows this movie came out about about 10 months ago and it's been on it's been on the radar for a while but we were prioritizing other films to watch so now we, we reached to this point and we'll see what this is all about yeah. maybe this can surprise us ernesto that's that's the beauty about the foreign films of the month uh it's always a, it's always it a gamble could, but one a gamble i feel like we're always here for absolutely absolutely uh with that if you want more from us you can always find us on our social media channels on instagram at box office underscore pingers our facebook threads tiktok youtube page at box office bingers we are again on youtube you can see our lovely faces kind of uh talk about what we've been talking about as well as some uh visuals for you guys when we have them there um and you can also find us on our x page at box office binger without the s but I thank each and every one of you for listening to us just talk about movies and have fun doing it. We really have a good time doing mm-hmm. this. And I think today was a, a nice, well-rounded episode. Yeah, we had a great time. Uh, we had a lot of fun. We had a great time. As always. As, as always. always. Uh, come back more. Come back next week for more movie fun. You're not going to regret it. And for that, I've been your host, Matthew. Santos. See ya. <laughs>